but let's dive in today. And I, I'm, 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 I'm going to preface today's message with several things. Is um, Today's message, uh, we're going to continue. We'll be five weeks in this series on relationships. And my hope is as we look into God's Word, we'll hit different types of relationships. And here's why we wanted to focus on relationships, because when... Um, when we, in our, our, our culture here in America, we do a lot to prepare you for your vocation, which I think is a great thing. You should. Many of you are a fellow NIH, or you're uh, maybe in school at American or Uniform Services uh, University or, or Howard, uh, or, you know, you, you go to school, get a degree, get training, you get professional education, you keep, which I think is a great thing. But in contrast, when it comes to relationships, right, uh, you go to get married, they'll just give you a certificate at the courthouse. And they're like, good luck. You got this, right, you know? Or you have a child, and you go home with that baby that first day, and you're like, what in the world did I do, right? Like, there's like no rule, like required education. And, uh, and relationships, probably more than anything else, influence the course of our life, like even more than work. Like, if, if your relationships are not healthy, it affects you. Um, it's hard to, to move forward when you feel that. So what we want to talk about is how do we create healthy relationships? And in a few weeks, we're going to sp- speak specifically to, uh, to marriage, uh, because God's Word has a lot to say about marriage. And in that message, there's going to be a lot application as well if you're single, um, because God's Word has an application in your life, regardless of whatever season of life you find yourself in. But today... We are going to talk about the season, or maybe some of you feel called to a lifetime of this, singleness and dating. We're all my single ladies, all my single ladies, okay? Some of you are looking around me like, who's single, okay? It's okay. There's no shame in that game, okay? You're in the house of God. It's It's better to find someone in this place than most other places in Jesus' name. So... If you saw somebody who went, woohoo, and you're like, she kind of cute, do your thing, okay? Just keep God first. Honor him in every area of your life. Uh, and treat her well. Because uh, there's a church family that will come after you. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> Protect our own here, Catalyst. Uh, see, first service didn't get that. See, second service is kind of low off the chain because... I don't know, maybe a little more caffeine in me. Maybe I don't know what it is. But, um, but I, I want to talk about how to, 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 again, whether you feel called to a season of it or you feel called to a lifetime of it. In fact, recent studies show about 15% of Americans are single and have no intent to ever marry. So there's some of you in the room, that's you. There's some of you in the room that you are single and you are ready to mingle. Uh, like today, like you're like, I'm ready. If you want, he, he wants to come into my life, let him come in Jesus' name. If she is here, Lord, show me. Um, and, and let me say this too. If you are married because we are human um, and because we will all face natural death, although we live for eternity in heaven, that means 50% of the married people in the room will one day again be single. So singleness is something that will touch probably most of us in this room if it's not currently touching us. That's why when the the letter we're going to look at in Corinthian church, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, he wrote it not just for the single people to hear. He didn't say, hey, married people, disregard 1 Corinthians 7, right? He intended that they would hear this as well. Um, Let me also say this. Maybe you grew up in a church culture where you felt like as a single person, um, maybe you weren't valued. Can I just say that's not the heart of God at all? Um, That whether you are single, you are married, you were once married before, like you are are all an equal and valuable member of the family of God and in this church. And that's why I wanted to give weight to this. We know that maybe you've been in church context. I know for me, growing up in church, I never heard a message on singleness. I heard about marriage, but nothing on like, how do I do this, this season well of singleness? Um, and, and our hope as we look to God's word, because God's word speaks specifically to this topic. Uh, in fact, the, the son of God, our savior on earth was single, Jesus. Uh, now he, he's, the, he's the, the groom, the bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ. But as a man, naturally, he lived as a single, single life. The apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament books, 
was a single man. Uh, so we see all throughout Scripture in modern history, God doing incredible things uh, through people who were single and devoted to God. So my hope today, I, I, I believe this, again, because he wrote this letter not just to single people, but to all of the, the church of Corinth, um, if you are married, you have, there's something in this message for you as well. Uh, so I want to encourage you to be attuned to what God wants to say to you today. Let me say this one last thing, then we're going to pray. Uh, is that in the scriptures, in the Greek, um, there was not a term for what we call dating in America. There was single and married. Um, in fact, when you see the word engaged in scripture, in the original Greek, engaged was more like marriage than it was like being dating. So it was, it was literally either single or, or not to say there was no sort of activity like dating, but this isn't really a concept that Scripture speaks to. So we're going to be looking at some general Scriptures to really think through how does this apply in our modern context for dating. And, uh, but, but God's Word does have something specifically to say for how we handle um, our single life. But before we dive into it, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. It's truly a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would speak to us as we open up your word. Uh, Father, we just uh, posture our hearts and minds to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to read eight scriptures. Uh, sorry, seven. Out of 1 Corinthians 7, 32, it says this. I would like for you to be free from concern, the apostle Paul writes. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he can please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. A married woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you might live in the right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, if his passions are too strong, if he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled this matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, has control over his own will, who has made up his mind to not marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. Now, Paul had a preference for people to stay single. In fact, at one point, he says, if you're able to stay stay single. Do it. Because in his mind, he's like, you can be singularly devoted to God, which is what he chose to do with his life. Um, but then he goes on to say, you know, but if you have a, some translations, if you burn with passion, uh, clearly that's not the only qualifier for marrying somebody. Um, but he is saying if it's something that you, you feel called to, like I cannot live single, then, then you should. Either way is right. And again, we're going to have a message speaking to those who are married. Um, in First and Second Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, there were two primary themes you're going to see throughout the letters. Number one is unity, unity within the church. Number one, why? Because God values unity. Jesus says, as the Father and I are one, he wants us to be one. That's why we see even today and back then, like the enemy consistently tries to divide the church. Right? Even most recently, we saw in this pre previous election cycle between the right and left. Like, the, the enemy loves division because the Bible also says where there's unity, God commands a blessing. So he loves, the enemy loves a divided church, but God loves a unified church. He wants, to be, he wants a unified church to be in unity around Christ. And then the second theme is on the area of purity, and here's why. Corinth was known for its lack of sexual ethic. Um, its sexual ethic was very contrary to the way of Scripture and the way of God. Um, and there are actually kind of two camps in the church that Paul wanted to speak to. Because 1 Corinthians 7, he actually begins to answer some questions the church had. Like, they posed some questions to Paul. Like, hey, can you speak about this? Because some of the sexual ethic of Corinth came into the church. Uh, which, you know, the, the, the sexual ethic of Corinth was like kind of for lack of better terminology, just kind of do whatever you would like with whomever. There's kind of no boundary, no ethic. Um, the, the, then there was, a, there was an opposite group that kind of responded, more so reacted to this, and they were saying all sex is bad. Like, don't even have sex with your spouse, um, which that's also does not align with God's word. And every marriage person said, thank you, Jesus, right? God made sex for not just procreation, but also for recreation, Read the Song of Solomon. Come on. Um, Got to lighten things up a little bit in here, okay? 
Sometimes you go to church thinking like sex is, <laughs> maybe you heard this message growing up, sex is bad, don't do it, save it for your spouse, right? It's like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right, right? No, God created sex to be enjoyed, right? But he has a, he has a, he has a, a container for where that, that's supposed to happen. So Paul is speaking to both of these groups that are active in the church. He's like, wait a minute, both of you are off. So he gives clarity. He begins in 1 Corinthians 7, speaking to how to live life as a single person. Here's the first thing that he says. I got three points for us to take notes on today. Is to have a singular devotion to God in your singleness. Paul kind of outlines a path over these seven verses of the kind of speaking to how we, how we engage the single life. He says to have a singular devotion. He says a single person is free from the concern of your spouse. Come on, if you ever felt like your, 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 your husband or wife was too much of a concern, you just got freedom today. Come on. <laughs> no, but the reality is this. Maybe you've experienced this. Paul's saying is that if you're single, like if you're married, it's God's will for you to care for and to attend to your spouse and God, but also your spouse. But if you're single, you don't have a spouse that you have to attend to right now. The word devote in the original Greek, it literally means to attend to. To devote yourself to God means you attend yourself to the Spirit of God. You attend yourself to the Word of God. You attend yourself to the work that God wants to do in you. And Paul says when you're single, you have like a complete, uninterrupted attention to God. Let me say this. Um, and I hope this comes across the way I want to say it. If you are a single person, Paul's saying this, your single life, the primary purpose of your single life is not to, to throw yourself into your work. The primary purpose of your single life is not to travel the world. Those are good things, and those may be God things for your life. But the primary purpose is to devote yourself to God. That's what he says. And Paul has not just spiritual authority, but moral authority because he lived this out. And now, again, God may call you to travel. I'm not saying travel is bad. Please don't hear that. What I'm saying is the primary purpose is that you would first say, God, what do you have for me to do in this season of singleness? I'll put it this way. Maybe you've experienced this. Have you ever been working in a coffee shop and you found yourself easily distracted by conversation around you? Or maybe the espresso machine going off. Or maybe you had too much espresso and you were distracted by all the activity, the seven conversations going in your head at the same time. Anybody else? Or, or maybe you're a parent and you, you work from home. I had this the other day. I was working from, from home and, and literally my three children, like one after another, one came up and said, Dad, I need water. Dad, where's the remote? Dad, I need a snack. Dad, I got to go potty. And like literally, I couldn't even have a clear thought. Any parents ever felt that way? It's like, what did I even think about today? I don't even know what happened over the past two hours. It was like, whoosh, this is gone. But, but, but what he's saying is when you're married, you have an, an, a healthy God-given distraction in a spouse. But when you're single, you have an uninhibited like attention you can give to God. He said this in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, I wish that all of you were as I am. Again, Paul had a clear preference. Like, listen, if you can stay single, stay single, Paul said. Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 12, he spoke about a, a group of, of men, celibate men, um, who were, were living a life of singlehood called by God, called eunuchs. Eunuchs were common then. Um, oftentimes a eunuch was commonly someone who lived a single life to devote themselves um, to their country's kingdom or government. Um, and Jesus here speaks about eunuchs who feel called for the kingdom of heaven. Here's what he says. For there are eunuchs who were born this way. And there are eunuchs who've been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus, on his 33 years on earth, lived as a eunuch. He was a, a celibate man who lived devoted to the kingdom of heaven. So this was something that's, again, it's not new for people in their single life to feel called, have a devotion completely to God. Sam Albury, he wrote a book called The Seven Myths of Singleness. It's a great book on the topic. He says, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, Christ's love for the church and the church's devotion to God, then singleness shows us its sufficiency. In other words, what the single life reminds us of and shows us, even if you are married, that there is no other relationship in which you can be completely satisfied 
than in Christ. And maybe you're married here today, maybe you need to be reminded of that, that your spouse cannot fully satisfy you. Only Christ can. And here's the beauty of marriage. I'm gonna get back to singleness. But here's the beauty, even if you're single, lean into this. If you have two people who find themselves fully satisfied in Christ, it prevents an unhealthy dependence. It creates a healthy, listen, the best way to have a healthy marriage is to be a healthy you. The best way to have a a marriage where you experience God's best is you find your sufficiency and your satisfaction solely in Christ. That's why the best thing you can do is to devote your life to God. If you're single, that's the primary purpose of a single life. If you're married, you devote yourself to God, and then you devote yourself to God to your spouse. You have a, have a dual devotion there. Let me get practical because I, I, I want to I kind of bring it down. I wanted to give sort of a, a framework of how the Apostle Paul was approaching the conversation. But let me give you three ways you can devote yourself to God in, in, in this season of your life. Number one is this, is devote yourself to prayer. Paul says in Colossians 4.2, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Being attentive to God. Can I tell you that, that as if you are in a season of singleness, one of the best things I would encourage you to do is to devote yourself to developing a private devotional life with God. Let me challenge you with this. In that, this season is learn to hear the voice of God for your own life. Cultivate what David cultivated as a man after God's own heart. Do you want to know how you become a man or woman after God's own heart? It happens in the secret place. It happens in the private moments. You, God, Scripture, maybe your journal, that's where that private devotion happens. And let me encourage you with this. I believe this, truly, that each one of you in this room, moving on from here, both because of work responsibility will increase or, or you'll have a family and your family will grow, they'll get older, all of these things. What that means is this, is that your public life will continue to grow. And one of the greatest tragedies, and we've all seen it, even publicly in, in the media, the greatest tragedies is when someone's public life outgrows their private life their private life collapses and you hear about the affairs or the addictions or, 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 or this behavior like, I can't believe it. What happened? The private life was not strong enough to sustain the public influence. Can I tell you, do you have time? Man, devote yourself to God. Like allow him to do work in this secret place. Submit yourself to accountability. Man, allow God to do great work in you through other people. I'm telling you, it will sustain you. Develop a private life that will sustain the public life that God wants to bless you with. And that's a word for all of us, single, married, regardless of season, keep cultivating a private life. I actually think one of the more attractive things that will happen in our culture, because in this information age we live in, which I love it, but we are living in a distracted age, and distraction is the enemy of depth. So we have a lot of shallowness in our culture. God is looking for people of depth. It happens in a secret place. It's time investment, allowing God to do the deep work. So when things are shaken, when things happen, the people who have a depth in God stand out. You know why? Because people with depth are experiencing, they're experiencing peace in an anxiety-riddled world. They have a joy in a world that is fearful. Not because of what they have or what they possess, because they spend some time with God in the secret place that nobody else. That's what gave David the confidence when he stood before Goliath. You know this story, maybe you heard it with the felt boards in Sunday school, come on. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Why? I've defeated the bear. I've defeated the lion in the private place. And because he had a private devotion to God and he saw God work through his life privately, it gave him the courage and the boldness publicly. Develop a private life, church. Secondly is this, is devote yourself to God's word. 
Let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord your God. Walk in his statutes, keep his commandments. 1 Kings 8, 61. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. Put it into practice. Psalms 1, the psalmist writes this. This is the first psalm and the first verse of Psalms. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. The person's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in every season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. Whatever they do, prospers. That word blessed is the word fulfilled. Like, you'll be fulfilled. Another translation is happy. You'll be happy. To meditate literally means to not just read the word, not just hear the word and forget it, but to allow the word to stay on the top of your mind. To allow the word to take root in your life. God, what does this mean for me, God? To, to, I'm blessed if I meditate on the word. You'll be fulfilled, and then he says you'll be fruitful. You'll be like a tree planted by the streams of water bearing fruit in every season. You want to be fulfilled in every season. You want to bear fruit in every season. Then stay rooted in the word of God in every season. You allow the word of God to shape your character. You allow the word of God to inform your perspective. You allow the word of God to shape who you are becoming. You will bear fruit. You will be fulfilled. And then lastly is this, is devote yourself to God's people. In Acts 2.42, this is the early church were devoted, devoted to fellowship, to koinonia, to this community that we call the church. They were devoted. They had a, they had a devotion. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8.5, and they exceeded our expectations. He's referring to the Macedonian church. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, so first to God, but then by the will of God also to us. They, they had given themselves to the church, given themselves to spiritual family, given themselves into community. He's referring to their generosity. The Macedonian church was known for their extravagant generosity, but it's more than that. Yes, it's giving, but it's, it's being a part of a, a community and family where you give of yourself. You know, last week I was talking to a friend of mine and we were talking about the city of Philadelphia and uh, I was saying, hey, have you ever been to Philadelphia before? And he, he's like, no, I've just driven through it. And I said, well, driving through Philadelphia is not the same as visiting Philadelphia. Um, you, you, you cannot experience the greasy goodness of a Philly cheesesteak <laughs> driving through Philadelphia, which then afterwards you have to take a three-hour nap to kind of sleep it off, right? You cannot experience the passion and at times the anger of the Philadelphia Eagles fans by driving through. Come on. One day, E-L-G-L-E-S, the next minute, it's like, boo, get off the field, you bum. You know what I mean? You, you can't experience that. Drive through. I have family who are Eagles fans. I pray for them daily. Um, <laughs> just kidding. We're glad you're here. You can't experience the exhilaration of, of running up the rocky steps in Philadelphia, the beauty of walking through Chinatown there in, in Philly. You can't experience that driving through. Let me say this. Casually attending church is like driving through church. You see the community. Like, you see some people who have a, you can tell the relationship has depth. You see the beauty of it from a distance, but you're not in it. And listen, this isn't a plug for Catalyst Church because my responsibility is, is to the church of Jesus, not just here at Catalyst. I want to see the church of Jesus grow and expand and advance. And we as a Christian, so whether here it's Catalyst, we'd love for you to be here at Catalyst. But if you're a follower of Christ, you need to be somewhere where you're saying, you know what? I'm not just going to casually attend. I'm going to root myself in a community of people. I'm going to care for and be cared for. I'm going to pray for and be prayed for. I'm going to use the gifts God's given me to serve others. I'm going to live generous and see God impact people's lives for eternity through my generosity. I'm going to invest myself in a local church. I was reminded of a, of a friend of mine named Darian. Years ago, I was serving on staff at a church, and um, he came to me. He's in his early 30s. And he said, hey, pastor, um, I feel like God's calling me to take a year off from dating. And he said, uh, 
you know, he was at kind of, a, he was at an age where, you know, understandably, he, he wanted to be married. It'd be understandable. And he had kind of come out of a season of, 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 a, of a lot of dating. He said, I feel like I'm supposed to just kind of devote myself to God. Like literally what, you know, kind of Paul writing here. And for a year, I was like, hey, if that's what God's calling you to do, to do that. For a year, that's what he did. And it, what it looked like was he would spend more time, like, seeking God in the private place, studying his word. He ended up leading the, uh, a singles community group that, that grew very large in the church. Um, he also served on the parking team. Then he led the parking team at the church, which you know it's a calling from God when you serve on the parking team in winter. Come on. There's, like, extra blessings in heaven for the parking team in the winter. Uh, that's when you know what service is, and it's like it's snowing, and it's 26 degrees, and you're out there for 45 minutes waving people in. Um, but I remember, never forget, uh, about 10 months into his, his journey of a year off from dating, he met the woman, and he, he, he just he had this knowing, which I believe this. I think through that year, he cultivated hearing the voice of God for himself. So when he met her, he's like, this is the one. And I had the honor about a year later of officiating their wedding on the Jefferson Memorial. And can I tell you, listen, I'm not saying thus says the Lord for you, take a year off for dating. Maybe for some of you it is. I actually have several stories like this where people felt God say, take a year off from dating and just pursue me wholeheartedly. But what I am saying, there's a blessing that comes with devoting yourself to the Lord. Abby Smith, she wrote a great book called Not Yet Married on singleness. She said this, that scripture says fulfillment does not come by marriage. Fulfillment comes from Christ and his body, the church, and our dependent participation and thus transformation, waiting, watching, and abiding in relentless love therein. So have a singular devotion to God. Here's number two. Paul goes on, he continues, um, and I think he kind of says something that in some ways in our current culture is surprising. Um, and let me read the scripture first. In 1 Corinthians 7, he goes on to say, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he's engaged to and his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. So let me give context to what's happening here culturally. There were some men in the, in the church at Corinth who they were, they were in relationship with women who wanted to be married, but they were dragging their feet. And he was saying in his mind, he said, you are acting dishonorably towards those women because they want to be married and move forward and have a family, and you are dragging your feet. Here's what he's saying. You are being inconsiderate of the person you are dating. Here's what I thought to myself. We are conditioned in our American culture, and, and maybe some of you might disagree with me, which that's, you're welcome to do that. But, but as, I, as I observe, we are conditioned in our culture to be self-oriented when it comes to dating. Here's case in point. How many of you, and there's no condemnation because I'm included in this list, how many of you have ever created a list of qualities that you desire in that someone? Come on, anybody? Nobody being honest in church. It's okay, it's okay. No pastor, I just want someone who loves the Lord, you know? <laughs> Stop. You pulled that list out when you got here and you saw, okay, he's five out of seven. Nope. <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with having a standard. There's nothing wrong with that. Let me just say this as well, and please hear this lovingly and pastorally, but, but I think sometimes what can happen if we're not careful is we can create a standard that no one could ever live up to. And we, we set ourselves up to be continually disappointed. There was one man who was perfect, and his name was Jesus. And he's already got a bride. It's the church. So the man you meet or the woman that you meet, they need Jesus, <laughs> which means they might not measure up some days. They might not measure up for some years. Come on, ask a married person. Um, but that's where grace is extended. Again, I'm not saying don't have a, please don't hear, I'm not saying don't have a standard. I'm saying be mindful that you're, you're, you're be mindful your perspective on dating is not, is not more aligned with, ask yourself this, is this just a cultural is this the way I've been culturally conditioned, or is this truly something that's biblical? And again, just, just, just mind that. So Paul, though, he speaks, he doesn't, even, he doesn't even get into like, here's what to look for. He says, first, focus on your own character. Like, don't act dishonorably. If you are a follower of Jesus, 
We are called to live with a posture of service in every relationship. And catch this, that includes dating. Meaning whom you're dating, it's not all about what they're giving you in the relationship. Are you approaching it with a posture of service? Are you approaching it so kind of being considerate of them? And there, let me just say real practical, a way you can be considerate, because I've seen personally and pastorally through the years, pain happen in relationships because of this. Here's a practical way. Write this down. You can be really considerate in your relationships. Is be clear. Like, I, I've, I've, I've talked to people. They've been... They've been in relationship with someone for five months. So are you dating? I, I don't know. <laughs> like, bro, be clear. <laughs> be honest. Just say like, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm into you. Like, or I don't know yet. <laughs> Just figuring this out. But I've talked to so many people who are like, they're like three, four months in. They've invested this time, and it's just like, I don't know. Can I tell you, be considerate of the other person. Just be clear. Be clear. Like, just communicate. Define the relationship. I'll never forget when I did this with Christina. We were dating. I mean, I had this plan. Like, I was like, I'm going to, it was a Sunday after church. And I was like, after church, I'm going to have a moment with her. And I'm going to tell her, I'm going to ask her. Like, hey, like, this is more than just friends to me. Um, and uh, so I had this moment I was going to ask her to be my girlfriend. Like, hey, can we, like, I envision marriage. Like, I don't want to say marriage, but, like, basically, I want to head that direction. And uh, her mom was with her at church that day. She came in from Florida. Mom, you might be watching. Um, she came in from Florida. And I'll never forget, like, we never had, like, a window of time for me to talk to her after church. So then I, I left, and I was like, I was like, man, what do I do? I, I, I want to be honest with her. So literally, I'm like in Target, and I'm like pacing down the aisle in Target. Like, I got, what, how am I going to tell her? I got to tell her somehow. So then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to call her. I called her. And then she was like, yes, I want to, we want to, I want to date. And uh, we're married now 11 years, so there you go. <laughs> hey, but can I tell somebody out? Like, be clear. Do not drag somebody on who may be thinking it's more than in your mind it's not. That's inconsiderate and dishonoring to that person. Like, honor them enough and love God enough to be clear. This is where this is. This is where I feel like it's going. Even if you're still a little uncertain, be clear about your uncertainty. I think it's important. I think it's also being a person of character. So Paul is saying work on your character, which is point number two. It's to focus on your character. Focus on your character. And we're going to get to the, let's look for the other person. But here's what Paul said to, to Timothy, who's single in 1 Timothy 4. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect the gift which was given to you through prophecy. And the body of elders laid hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. If you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So he's saying to, to young Timothy is to, to focus on your character. Like live a life that's an example to other people. And he says three things is, is, is devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. He goes, hey, watch your doctrine closely. Uh, Going to go back to the first point. But this, the, if you're in a season of singleness, that's a great season to like immerse yourself in the word of God. I had a conversation recently with somebody who they were, they were looking to get some Bible study tools in their life. I think it's a great thing to do. Like, immerse yourself. Like, understand. It, it's going to allow the Word of God to shape you, inform you, and understand the Word of God. And then he says, don't neglect the gift God's given you. Like, and you're in a single season. It's a great season to develop the gifts God's put inside of you. Like, it's, it's a, to maybe get some extra volunteer work to work on some skills or maybe to do some self-exploration. God, what, are you, what have you put inside of me? What are you calling me to do? Maybe to get that master's degree that will help lead you to your next season, whatever that might look like. And then he says, be diligent, remain diligent. This season is a great season to put some disciplines in practice. Start with spiritual disciplines, reading the scripture, uh, prayer. Put other disciplines in practice. You know, Psychological research has showed this. We end up attracting people to us who are like us. 
So, so be mindful you're not desiring someone and there's, a, there's an incongruency with how you're living. There was a, a, a story I heard out of Andy Stanley wrote a book called The uh, New Rules of Love, Sex, and Dating. And he shared a story of a, of a girl named Mary and a, and, a, and a guy named Shane. Mary had grew up in church, loved God genuinely, went to college, um, and like, like many, she drifted away from God and started living a lifestyle contrary to the word of God. And anyway, she met this, this boy named Shane. And Shane was like, in her mind, she was like, this was what I dreamed of when I was like 14, 15. Like he loved God. He was involved in his local church. He, he led a local Christian club on campus. He was a man of like integrity. So she went home like super excited at Thanksgiving. She said, mom, I think I met the guy I've been dreaming about for a long time. She explained who he was, like he loves God. He's a man of character. He's, he's real connected to his local church. And and her mom, lovingly and directly, probably only like a mother can, she just said, Mary, what makes you think a boy like Shane would want to be with a girl like you right now? In other words, you are looking for someone with whom you're not living like. Like you're wanting character from that person, and you're not demonstrating that character. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, become the person the person you are looking for is looking for. Instead of focusing on what you're looking for, become the person the person you're looking for is looking for, and then the person may find you. But the Bible doesn't have to say about what we look for in other people. So not just about, okay, just work on myself. Here's what Proverbs 31 says, verse 30. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeing. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And all of the women who fear the Lord said amen. amen. Come on, man. There you go. Look around. <laughs> Listen, six packs don't last forever, okay? Beauty is fleeing. I never had one, so I don't know what that's like. But <laughs> that's why I can say that. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all feel me in this room. No, but, but not, charm is like charm, beauty, all that stuff. But, but a woman who fears, who fears the Lord is not to be scared of God. It's to, it's to be submitted to God. Can I tell you, like, when you're looking for other, here's what the Bible is like clear on. When you're looking for someone who could be a potential future spouse, like someone who fears the Lord is above everything else. Look for someone who loves God, someone who's seeking the Lord. You know what's intriguing? There was a study done. Uh, there was a book called Love in the Time of Algorithms. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Dan Slater wrote this book. What's intriguing was in the initial years of the dating app industry, um, they found they, they, would, they would match people according to what you put in as the qualities you're looking for. And their success rate was actually not great. Then they created an algorithm, and then they would match you with people based upon your activity in the app, and it skyrocketed. Here's what the dating app industry concluded. You do not know what you're looking for. <laughs> like, you actually have no clue. Like, rip up the list. You have no idea what you want a potential mate. They really found that. Can I be honest? When I, uh, my wife, Christina, if you don't know, she's a beautiful redhead. Can I tell you, I had a list, and I had never once had redhead, <laughs> red hair on that list. But can I say, thank you, Jesus. He gave me a beautiful woman with red hair. I love her red hair. <laughs> she would tell you this. She's not in the room, so I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> with my own perspective. No, uh, she heard this first service. But before she met me, Christina traveled the world. Like, she, she literally, like, she can tell you. If you're looking for a vacation, she's probably been there. Like she's been all over the world. And so when we got, she thought before she met me, she would have met some man on her international travels, and they would get married. I called this man, hypothetically, International Ivan. <laughs> but then she met a man who've lived his entire life in Maryland, go Terps, and Virginia, moi. I affectionately refer to myself as Domestic Danny. <laughs> I'm a homebody. And she fell in love with Domestic Danny. You know why? International Ivan won't change diapers. 
Domestic Danny will all day and twice on Sunday, okay? <laughs> Domestic Danny will cook you uh, salmon and asparagus and sweet potato like I did on our first date. International Ivan, like what is a kitchen, okay? So, <laughs> the moral of the story is marry Domestic Danny. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I just share it in jest to the reminder we we don't know what we want. But I can tell you the one thing that's clear in God's word is somebody who fears the Lord. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthian church. Um, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Let me give clarity on the scripture. The word yoke, you're thinking, what's the word yoke, egg yoke? I don't know, you know, yoked, they lift weights. What is it, you know? It was referring to oxen. Um, and everyone who heard this would have thought of these oxen. They would put two oxen together. In order to be more productive, they would yoke two oxen together. It would be a large piece of wood with these metal rings around the oxen's neck. And they could tread grain. They were more effective together. And they would have known an unequal yoke means you put a stronger ox with a weaker ox. And inevitably, here's what always happened, the weaker ox would pull the stronger ox back. So he says, hey, you've seen that, right? You've seen the ox, the strong ox, the weak ox, and you've seen how the weak ox hold the ox back. You have to equally yoke them so that they can work together and not be imbalanced. He says the same way, be spiritually yoked together. I'd say this way, is to, to find someone who's pursuing God at the same pace as you. I'll give you an example of uh, what uh, Christina, my father-in-law, uh, Christina's dad told her. Uh, he watches sometimes. So if you're watching, give me a shout-out. Um, he, said, he, said, he said, Christina, fix your eyes on Jesus. Go hard after him. And then look around. If anybody's running along with you, stick your hand out. And then what does she find? But the man you're looking at. Come on. <laughs> No, but, but look for someone who's pursuing God at the same pace as you. Now, listen, if you are here and maybe you say, oh, I'm married to someone who doesn't follow Christ, we'll talk about that in a few weeks. For, for the, what the, what the Scripture is clear on is that you would then exemplify Christ for your character. And I've seen this happen in marriages, even very close to me personally, where people have done this and their spouses have come to faith in Christ. There's a different standard once you enter into covenant of marriage. But when you're dating, so be mindful we don't unequally yoke. I love what Mike Todd, he said in his book, Relationship Goals. He says, look for pattern and not potential. Like, like, and I've pastorally, unfortunately, I've seen people make decisions where it's like, you know, oh, does, you know, does he, does she follow Christ? Oh, they've been to church with me once or twice. And listen, please hear this. There's no condemnation if that's you here today. We're glad you're here. But here's what I'm saying. Look, the greatest predictor, take the Bible out of it. Psychologically speaking, the greatest predictor of someone's future is their past, period. So if they weren't going hard after God before you, God can do anything. But what I'm saying is be mindful because, because what you don't want to do is end up yoking yourself to someone who begins pulling you back. And listen, if you desire to be married, I want you to be married. But more so as I want you to remain close to God. Because that's the one relationship that you'll carry with you in all of eternity. Other relationships that are on, the, on this earth will change in eternity. That relationship will maintain. So make sure you look for patterns. Like, do they have a pattern of pursuing God? Do they have a pattern of being a person of integrity? How do they treat people around them, especially those who cannot do anything for them? How, how, how do others uh, speak about them, be, be yoked together equally? And then Paul concludes this moment. So he kind of has to be devoted singly to God. He then speaks this idea of character and acting honorably and considerate. And then he says in the third, the verse 38, so then he who marries a virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. Again, Paul referring to his preference for you to stay single if you're able to. But he says, either way is right, as long as you keep God first. That's what the third point's this, is the date... With, or sorry, keep God at the center of your life and your dating life. Here's three ways to do that. We're going to close with this. Is number one is to date prayerfully. 
Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, is to pray without ceasing. Can I say this, what I've seen sometimes? If we're not careful, we can be fervent in prayer for that someone, but then not be as fervent as praying about that someone once we find them. I remember Christina telling me after we got married, she said, you know, the entire time we were dating, she's like, I kept praying about you. Like, God, is this, is this right? Is this still your will? Is he the one? And keep praying. Keep, be, be prayerful about who you're dating and uh, while you're dating. Here's the second one. is date with purity. 1 Thessalonians 4. If it is God's will that you should be sanctified, Paul says, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Sexual immorality in Scripture was any sexual activity outside of that between a husband and wife. That was the, what the word meant. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like pagans who do not know God. Now, I know bringing this up, some of you may be thinking, but you're always welcome to disagree. But some of you are thinking, Jeremy, that's an irrelevant text for 2021. And many would have thought that's an irrelevant text for the Corinthian church because Corinth lived a certain way. But let me share with you an anthropologist, Helen Fisher, who, who, to my understanding, is not a Christian. She might be, but my understanding is she's not. She doesn't overtly come across that way, doesn't say she is. Here's what she found. She made a statement saying this, that casual sex is not so casual. She said, because here's what happens with sex, is there are three, there are three neurochemicals released in the brain. Uh, there's dopamine which has an addictive quality to it. Uh, a lot of drugs will release dopamine. Um, do you know when your phone has a ping, a notification, dopamine gets released in your brain. That's why people are spending, will check their phone like an obscene amount of times a day because dopamine's released. It feels good. It kind of gives you a little high. So dopamine's released in sex. Oxytocin, another chemical that produces pleasure and sort of this attachment to somebody. And then lastly is vasopressin. And her as an anthropologist, not biblically speaking, just pure anthropology, like pure human behavior. She says casual sex is not casual because you end up becoming attached to someone. It creates a commitment and an attachment purely based upon sexual activity. Because those chemicals released form a bond with someone. So... God intended for that between a husband and a wife. So here's what I've challenged, and I know some of you might disagree with this, but, but if maybe that you were in a relationship that was maybe sex at an early time frame, abstain for six months. Is this still feeling of attachment still there? If not, it may have been because you created an attachment based upon sexual activity. But do you see the beauty of our God? The reason he says to avoid it is because he does not want you to make an unhealthy and unwise commitment. Do you see the goodness of our God, church? I'm just saying out of anthropology, not just saying this is God's standard. God loves you. And he's trying to save you from making an unwise decision. They've actually shown uh, research, the Journal of Sex Research in 2013, found that there's a correlation between casual sex and an, and an increase of anxiety and depression. Why? Because we, we, those neurochemicals released during sex were intended for one relationship, period. Not single, not dating, marriage. Please say this out of love and compassion. I'm not condemning anybody, but this is what the Word of God says, and it's not to be a burden. Can I just speak transparently? In the early years of my life, I was like, God, why are you trying to hold her brother back? <laughs> like, none of y'all ever thought that before, okay? Y'all, just stop it. I'm like, why are you trying to hold me down, God? But you know what I realized after my own mistakes? He's not trying to hold you down. He's trying to lift you up. He's trying to help you. He's trying to help you. Let me give you a visual of this, of, of, of what research shows and God's word has said for years. If you can't see this, there's a fire pit on stage. Don't get concerned. I have no gasoline nor fire. But a fire pit 
is a container in which you light the fire. And this fall, come on, it's, it's almost fire pit season. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, you can light some. A fire pit will keep you warm. You can have conversation with friends at night over a fire pit. You can roast some marshmallows in a fire pit. You can roast a hot dog. I mean, you can, a fire pit is beautiful. It's a container that God's given us uh, to, to, to keep warm. And in its container, it gives life. But outside of its container, if I were to take these logs right here, if you can't see it, I'm putting them on the ground, on the stage. If I were to light this on fire, you would run like the wind. I hope you would. Out of this place. And be like, that man is crazy. I'm calling the cops. And why did you invite me to that crazy church? <laughs> why? Because of fire outside of its container the container, it gives life, but outside of its container, it brings death. And the research shows that, church. Again, there's, God just wants the best for you. Date prayerfully. Date with purity. Now, here's my final thought in Scripture. The band can come. It's to date in community. Proverbs eleven fourteen. For a lack of God into nation falls, but a victory is won through many advisors. I think one of the best things you can do in your life of singleness, dating, or married is to do it in the context of community and relationship. It's the way that God's designed it. I remember when Christine and I were dating, <clears throat> she told me, I forget, it was probably about a few months in, said, hey, my friend, we were living in Virginia Beach, my friend from D.C. is coming down, we're going to have lunch. And I was like, oh, great, we're going to have lunch together, it's going to be fantastic, meet your friend. You know, we're taking it one step closer. This is exciting. But I didn't realize it was a setup for an interrogation. About 30 minutes into lunch, Christina leaves the room quietly and unexpectedly. And it's me and her friend. And her friend begins to ask me questions, like about my relational history, my personal history, my, my theology. And she's got like a doctorate in divinity. It was like heavy. Two hours of this. Is it true? She, she like grilled me. But what I realized was Christina invited her friend to assess me if I was like, because Christina was like, listen, he's really good looking. I'm like caught up in my feelings. Okay, she didn't say that, but I added that, okay? You know how you elaborate the story for your, it just, it just feels better that way to me. If she was like, man, he's so attractive. I just, I need help. <laughs> That's true little bit? Okay. Not at all. Um, but can I tell you, after that moment, I thought, that was brilliant, Christina. And can I encourage you? One of the, I, I would just, as you as, this is your home church, as your pastor, I would encourage you, before you move forward into anything more significant or serious with someone in dating, is to get them around your other close friends, especially those who love God and really love you, and say, hey, listen, Ask them questions. Dig, right? Like, and then let me know what you think. Do you think they're going to be the best for me? Or do you think that I could be making an unwise decision right now? And after 11 years of being married to her, thank God I passed the interrogation. But can I tell you, man, do this in community. Go through singleness in community, through dating in community. And if you're married, marriage in community, I'm telling you, it's the way God's designed us. It's for your betterment so you can continue to walk along the path that God has for you.